0: This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 375.
1: Hi, I'm Stephen M. R. Covey, the author of the New York Times and number one Wall Street Journal bestselling book, The Speed of Trust, The One Thing That Changes Everything. Shift your professional growth into high gear every time you listen to this. It's the Read to Lead podcast with my friend, Jeff Brown.
0: It's no secret that the economy is changing. Countless new tasks and exponential automation are on the horizon. In our rapidly evolving world, old management models no longer apply. With an uncertain future, rife with social and workplace changes, how can you ensure your organization will evolve and succeed? Hi there, I'm Jeff Brown, and we'll be digging into this topic on today's episode of the Read to Lead podcast, the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth. One of the reasons I created this podcast was to make it easier for you to interact with more books, mainly because I believe that intentional and consistent reading is key to success in business and in life. To that end, we're joined each week by a successful and inspiring author to chat about their latest book and their insights into personal and professional development, leadership, productivity, career, business, marketing, sales, entrepreneurship, and plenty more. Today, we sit down with Eric Shepard who's co-author of a new book called Talent Transformation. Develop today's team for tomorrow's world of work. I'll be asking Eric to share how the prevalence of AI actually opens the door to opportunity, advice for handling resistance to change among staff, future trends that are set to drive exponential change, and much more. I was tagged recently on LinkedIn by Read to Lead podcast listener, Andrew Kroszowski. He's an executive, board member, and speaker and who recently downloaded my free ebook available at my website called Dream Big, the five personal habits that will supercharge your life. And in sharing it on LinkedIn, Andrew said, if you're mentoring a young person, I'd recommend sharing it with them. It provides some growth areas to explore and discuss together. I did. That's awesome, Andrew. Thank you so much for sharing that with the young people in your charge. I appreciate that. And glad to know that it's having an impact. Again, if you want to pick up this free ebook, Dream Big, the five personal habits that will supercharge your life, get it at my website. Just putting your name and email address to the form at the right. You can find it at read to lead as an entrepreneur, visionary, and author, Eric Shepard is an accomplished leader of international business and associations focused on talent assessments and success. For 18 years, Eric was the CEO of Question Mark, where he grew the organization's platform into a multi-million dollar operation delivering tens of millions of assessments per year. He's also led industry and standards initiatives to promote best practices for assessments, learning, and interoperability. He currently serves as chair of the IEEE Working Group, which is developing recommended practice for defining competencies. That's a mouthful. Eric currently serves as the executive director of the Talent Transformation Guild. And his book, uh, similarly titled, his new one, is called Talent Transformation, Develop Today's Team for Tomorrow's World of Work. Eric, thrilled to have you here. Thanks for being a part of the Read to Lead podcast. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, Jeff. Thanks so much for inviting me. I meant to include your co-author. Pronounce her name for me. Joan Fulp. Yes,
1: a wonderful lady I've worked with for 20 years or so in my previous company. and, And when I left, we said, let's write this book together.
0: Awesome. Well, the future is uncertain in so many ways. For many of us in organizations, worried about changes at our head and AI and all of those things, and jobs on the line. Talk about what's commonly referred to as as the the fourth industrial revolution. What are the next few years expected to look like in your view, with regard to the traditional uh, work environment? Sure. Let,
1: let's just uh, connect a couple of dots. So uh, of the of the third and the fourth. So the, the very first one was the mention of of uh, machines and uh, we could power those machines. Second was about standardization and production. So production lines, standardizing screws and, and bolts and things like that. Then we went into the third industrial revolution, which was kind of storage and retrieval. So we would... Uh, be able to uh, have accounting systems, uh, improved supply chain management. And it was just a logical way of storing stuff and then retrieving it in different reports. The fourth industrial revolution is really leveraging the past industrial revolutions, but then adding a layer of artificial intelligence. And and what artificial intelligence can do is look at past data and start making decisions that are almost human-like. But it's not just about uh, powering smart devices that we might have around the home, uh, like Alexa or Siri. It's also about more autonomy for machines, so they Mm -hmm. don't have to have a, a driver. So we have autonomous vehicles, autonomous drones. Thinking about a, a drone, you'd think, well, you, you could just uh, fly it, uh, you know, use some kind of Wi-Fi signal and fly it from A to B. The challenge is that it's going to experience downdrafts and winds yeah. and, and other things that will push it off course. So having a level of autonomy within the drone actually helps it do its task without so much intervention from either um, an operator or a centralized computing system. And now when we have all of things like just progressing the drone idea, we can send them down to inspect sewers, we can send them to check chimneys, Mm. So what we're seeing is that all the dirty and dangerous jobs that are currently hazardous will be probably the first jobs to be replaced with these kind of machines or maybe mm. augmented and then potentially replaced. Uh, so in at some point in the future, um, a machine will decide that we need to inspect the sewers and it'll send a bunch of drones down and report back and and such. We can see delivery will be delivery services, mm-hmm. whether it be food delivery or package delivery. You can imagine a, a truck driving down a road, potentially an autonomous truck that's got drones leaping out of it and delivering packages to people's doors. That's mm-hmm. just some of the examples that, that we're going to see.
0: Yeah. When AI, that topic comes up, usually the first thing on most people's minds is the impact on jobs and the jobs lost, right? And you, you referenced some of that, but but there's opportunity here as well. It's it's not all bad. Correct.
1: Yes. And, and most predictions are saying that more jobs are going to be generated than lost. The, the challenge is that a lot of the jobs that are gonna be lost are the ones where workers are doing repetitive tasks, whether it's a repetitive cognitive task or a repetitive physical task. And so we're seeing, thankfully, lots of investment going into reskilling and upskilling. So moving people into new types of jobs or progressing them through their career. An advantage is that we'll see more humans doing human activity, instead of doing a machine activity. So, so more and more, employers are going to have a choice. And it's either going to be build the talent, buy in the talent, like buying in a consultant, or borrow the talent, which is through platforms like Upwork or Fiverr or, or Freelancer. Um, so they just have them for a temporary basis, for a project or, or something. Or the last option is, bot. do I automate this task? So there will be more and more high-skilled jobs, which is uh, so people um, producing machine learning and and AI systems. So it's unlikely we're going to take low-skilled workers today and get them into those very high-skilled jobs. But we certainly need to be developing the pipeline so we have those highly skilled individuals available to help us manage the technology. And there will be these new jobs that come along, such as uh, an HR data detective to find out what the HRs doing or what the data systems are actually doing, uh, maybe audit an AI system to make sure it's not making inappropriate decisions. But there will be thousands and thousands of jobs generated, which will be more than the jobs lost.
0: For any organization, I think, looking to keep up, making changes to, to transition toward the future, inevitably, there's going to be, I think, personnel within the organization that resist. Generally speaking, Eric, what are some ways, some effective ways maybe for organizations to handle those types of cases?
1: Well, first of all, there needs to be very clear communications about what the mission, vision, and purpose of the organization is so that everyone can rally behind the flag to to know why they're in business and and, uh, what their purpose is. Secondly, it's a good strategy to explain what will happen if you don't change. So if we don't change, there's going to be a negative effect. And so either our competitors are going to run away with our business or uh, we're not going to improve customer satisfaction, uh, those kind of things. So what's the negative effects if we don't change? And then explaining the positive effects of a future whilst recognizing that it is uncertain. Predicting the future is kind of hard because it is about the future. So we have to recognize, yeah, there are potential challenges and risks, and these are ones we've identified, but the positive future outweigh the risks. And then it's identifying the forces in play. So there'll be some people that just are resistant to change because they're not naturally open to change and whether that's dealt with in groups or individuals, but it's it's, uh, helping them individually or as teams understand how their resistance is not going to help the business and it will put the organization into this negative area. So explaining that very open and transparent communications helps. and and keeping people informed on a regular basis.
0: Uh, Let's dig into a bit of the the transformation pyramid framework that you've devised. How does that uh, come into play? How does it help address maybe some of these issues?
1: Well, if we think, Jeff, about how logical uh, tasks are going, or repetitive tasks, are going to be handed off to machines, that means that more and more we have to be, um, uh, the way we behave, in teams is going to become more important. So if we're working alone and just interacting by, say, putting a wheel on a car, I don't think many people do that these days, but <laughs> you know, if that was the production line, we had to put the wheel on a car. And now we, we, we don't really need many communication skills. It doesn't really matter how we behave because it's just us and doing a task. But, but in the future, we're going to work much more in teams and communications is going to be much more important. So our mindset, is as important as our skill set. So part of the driver behind producing the Talent Transformation Pyramid was was recognizing that these two things, mindset and skill set, are now much more equal, where in the past, skill set was more important. So mindset is is about how we behave, and the the way we behave depends on the situation that we find ourselves in. Uh, So if we were in a fine dining restaurant or we were at a sports game, or we went to doing a presentation in a boardroom. The situation is different. We're the same person. We just behave differently in those different situations. Psychological safety provides uh, is an important part of effective communications for teamwork but there's times uh, if we can think of dangerous environments like an oil rig where psychological safety is not the primary objective the primary objective is that people are physically safe so they might do things that might be considered rude in a boardroom Mm. but completely appropriate Uh, so it depends on the task depends on the job depends on the environment psychological safety though will bring out more creativity in the team uh, more cooperation collaboration And then the underlying part of our behavior is uh, our personality traits, our values, and and understanding people's personality traits and values will help us better work with them. So there's a concept called emotional intelligence and social intelligence, Mm. which is the idea of understanding ourselves, understanding others, so that we can better communicate, so we can produce the psychological safety that's required to behave appropriately on the job.
0: You've done obviously a lot of work in the assessments arena. I've, I've heard it said recently that assessments are overrated. Talk about how traditional assessments, whether for recruitment, promotion, training, onboarding, might be leveraged to navigate these challenges in the years to come.
1: Yeah, so there was a recently an HBO special that focused on one particular uh, assessment. So there is a risk that people think that's the assessment that everybody should be using. And, and that particular mm. assessment, the Myers-Briggs, has, they've done a great job marketing the assessment and for mm. certain applications, it's it's ideal, but for things like recruitment or promotion, it's not ideal and it's not the right tool to use. So as with any job, you pick the right tool for the job. And so if we think about an employee life cycle, yeah. at the beginning, we might want to use uh, skills assessments to make sure that people know how to use the tools that we use on the job. We might use uh, a test or exam to grant a license. So if we think about a a truck driver or a crane driver, um, we'd want to make sure that they have a license. And so assessments are used to um, provide these licenses to work. So that's at the front end the the recruitment can also be used for the challenge of feast or famine. So if there's a lots and lots of candidates applying for a job, you can put up a quiz that says, are you suitable for this job? And they have a quick screening quiz, and it just reduces the load on the recruiters because they can screen mm-hmm. out people with those kind of quizzes. Or you could use a similar quiz if there's a famine. If, if you're looking for people, you could uh, go up on social media and put a saying, uh, find out if you're good enough to work for our company. So a, a teaser with some clickbait to kind of bring people into the funnel. So that's kind of pre-employment. Then when the people uh, jump into the organization, There might be specific requirements, they have to conform to specific regulations, there might be safety issues involved. And so therefore, during the onboarding period, assessments are used to confirm that people understand the important uh, regulations that apply to that business. And then you can get into team development. Team development, helping people understand themselves, understanding others, so uh, the dynamics of the group, As an example, Jeff, I was uh, with Question Mark. There was challenges between a very technical team and a customer-facing team. So we ran an assessment that just helped them understand themselves and and understand uh, others. And we put a big circle on the ground, and we split it up into the four quadrants. And people went to stand in their particular area of the quadrant. And instantly, we could see salespeople were in one quadrant, the technical team was in another quadrant, <laughs> and they started laughing because they suddenly mm-hmm. got why they were struggling to communicate with each other. And through that, and we know humor is great in the workplace, uh, so <laughs> that was accelerated and, and, uh, and used. And from then, we, we saw much better cooperation and collaboration. So that assessment was used as a tool to help people understand one another.
0: Mm. I'm glad you covered that. I was going to ask about Teams specifically. You you mentioned, and we talked a bit about AI before, uh, what are are some of the more likely trends ahead that you think will be driving or maybe are already beginning to drive exponential change?
1: Um, I think AI is in so many places that we don't even realize it. Uh, Mm. So pre-pandemic, we were seeing some systems be deployed, but then during the Pandemic, they suddenly accelerated. Chatbots is an example of this. Mm-hmm. So uh, m- many call centers have shut down partly because of the pandemic, but uh, but also the chatbot was was doing a more efficient job than than a person. And then by analyzing all this data, that's uh, so we could analyze how agents in a call center were previously chatting with clients. And we can use that data to inform the chatbot how to improve um, uh, communication. So this ability to examine massive amounts of information to improve customer satisfaction, employee satisfaction, to um, improve the workplace. And I think we're gonna see a lot of AI used in the workplace uh, mm-hmm. For interventions, so they'll uh, start detecting when an employee is in trouble or or is uh, is feeling they're being left out of the group. In time, we'll have AI systems to detect that and help bring that employee back into the fold and and help them be productive.
0: What about learning and its its changes? Uh, what does the future of learning specifically look like in light of what you've just shared? In in, in your view,
1: well, what I think we're going to see is atomized learning. So there's learning chunks become smaller and they are fed up to people uh, or, or provided to people in a just-in-time way and a just-in-context way. So I I think what, one way to think about this, Jeff, is how the uh, GPS system works and the evolution of the GPS. Um, so somebody came up with a great idea. They said, let's put some satellites in the sky and we'll have these uh, little uh, chips that detect um, the signals from the satellite, and we'll work out where we are, and then we can work out where we want to go, and we'll use some mathematics to calculate a route. And uh, decades ago, this was just thought as ridiculous and impossible, and now we think it (laughs) is essential. That's what's going to happen with learning. Um, Mm -hmm. Instead of putting satellites up, we're going to put data stores up, and these data stores are going to be about learning opportunities So whether it's uh, online through Udacity or Coursera, uh, or whether it is through schools, colleges, universities, but their course catalogs will be put into accessible data and broken down into the competencies that people will learn if they go on that course. Then we'll have credentials. So how do we get a certificate, an exam and degree? They will also be broken down into these competencies. And then lastly, we can think about employers breaking down job descriptions into the competencies required. So those are the kind of the data stores out there. The government will probably provide occupational data and someone will provide salary data. Now we can imagine an app that uses this data, maybe provides an assessment of our personality to say, oh, you like learning this way, you like uh, 10 minute chunks every day, or you like to study for four hours. And then it can start uh, asking you, what do you want to do with your career? Do you want more money or do you want to um, have more family life? And now we can improve decision-making around career guidance. And we can say, these are the learning opportunities you should probably pursue. Here's a menu of options that you can uh, grant these from. And now an AI system can start feeding you these nuggets of learning throughout your lifetime um, to help you navigate to where you want to get to.
0: Before I get to a couple of other questions, Eric, what have I not asked about? Is there anything I haven't touched on from the book that you want to make sure we know or, or walk away with?
1: I think your questions are very insightful. You've obviously read the book. You understand the concept <laughs> of, of kind of technology, the change, how we can think about change as individuals and then how we can assess individuals, teams, organizations. I think the final chapter of the book uh, talks about potential futures about how we might be able to correlate this data together and produce a dashboard. So coming from the position of being a CEO and, and just wishing I had some kind of dashboard to help me understand skill set and mindset, uh, I think that's uh, recognized in the book. But it's, it's a dream rather than this is how you do it.
0: Mm. Virtually every author that I talk to is, is also an avid reader. Would you say that, uh, that, that describes you?
1: Absolutely yes, and 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 the books I've read over the years have been instrumental in, in uh, me achieving what I've managed to achieve. One of them, firstly, there's there's uh, there's a lot of them, so I think we know <laughs> that. Um, one of them is uh, permission marketing, mm. the the idea of engaging in relationships where you 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 start uh, seeking. Uh, small permissions and then over time you you seek larger and larger permissions the ultimate set of permissions you can ask for is unlimited access to someone's bank account and to uh, just you know, buy whatever you want and that's called marriage so mm-hmm. that's kind of the ultimate permission and there's these incremental permissions that are used uh, in business so permission marketing mm-hmm. i really found insightful uh, there's, there's other great books, you know, like uh, Good to Great, uh, Five Dysfunctions of a Team had a, a big impact on me. In fact, a lot of these thoughts were reflected in the book, kind of distilled, saying, uh, as so-and-so mentioned in this book, and I produced a list that I put on our website, and it lists the book, and then it says Influenced Chapter, so it will go through oh, uh, the chapters that uh, were influenced by the book. And I think there's kind of 50 or 60 books that we've recognized. Mm that influenced our thinking uh, into the book.
0: So it's been out for a few months now. As you look ahead to the rest of this year and beyond, what are you excited about that you're able and willing to share?
1: Well, I'm excited, uh, one, to share the concepts because I think it's going to help people stay relevant and understand how to build themselves themselves their teams, and their organizations. So as we Mm. go through all this massive change, we're gonna need to stay agile, and this is one book to contribute to that. And then the website, uh, we're producing uh, numerous videos and podcasts that talk about how things are changing, how business models are changing, how learning is changing, uh, so that anyone who who wants to have a better understanding of how the future might go can dip in and, and listen to that stuff.
0: Awesome. Looking forward to it. The book, again, is called Talent Transformation, Develop Today's Team for Tomorrow's World of Work. And he's the co-author of that book, Eric Shepard. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Read to Lead podcast. Looking forward to uh, all you have ahead of you. We'll be keeping uh, keeping tabs on you.
1: That's great. Thanks so much, Jeff.
0: Hey, for more on Eric, that website he mentioned, and if you want to connect with him online, just check out the show notes page for this episode. That's at com slash 375 for episode 375. If you've never taken the time to leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts or elsewhere for the Read to Lead podcast, I encourage you to take a moment to do that right now. I got a kick out of Kendall's recent rating and review. In fact, I think it's become my new all-time favorite review over the last several years. He titles it, Warning, This Podcast is Dangerous, But I Love It. How Can One Podcast Impact My Wallet So Much? Beware. No podcast or person, for that matter, has ever motivated me to buy more books than Jeff Brown. I love that. I absolutely love that. He says, and I don't regret it one bit. If one truly wants to tap into the leadership potential that's inside all of us, then Jeff's Read to Lead podcast is the one to listen to. Now, I won't bother you with the other nice things he says about the show, but he ends his post by saying, I guess now I have to buy Jeff's book too. Boy, oh boy, thanks a lot. (laughs) I love the humor in that, Kendall. Thank you so much. Appreciate that rating and review. And again, if you'd like to leave a rating and review, especially in Apple Podcasts, that is a great way to just cast a vote for read to lead and let those platforms know you appreciate what we're doing. And sometimes those algorithms will then work in our favor and help the podcast show up for more new people. Well, thanks for listening. I hope you got a lot out of my conversation with Eric today. Until next time, remember leaders read and readers lead.